This episode of Revision Path is brought to you by Facebook Design. We talk about inspiration a lot here on Revision Path. So I wanted to ask John Angelo, a product designer at Facebook, what inspires him? I tend to be most inspired by industrial design. And, you know, and, I, and so I, whenever I see things like, you know, chairs, interesting chair designs or tables and strange enough fashion. I mean, I, you know, I don't look like the type of person who would be influenced by fashion in any, any regard, but fashion uh, influences me. It's just other types of designs and just seeing people like pick up, picking up devices or even simple things, notepads and using them effectively without frustration. Learn more at Facebook.com forward slash design. Are you looking for a job? Do you know someone who's looking for a job? Then check out our job board over at provisionpath.com forward slash jobs. This week, Fall Creek Software is looking for a design engineer for Glitch. Williams College in Williamstown, Massachusetts is looking for a senior designer. And for freelancers, Cactus Group as well as Social Experiments DC are both looking for website designers. Check the job board for more info. We also have job listings from Indeed.com, so head to the Revision Path job board at revisionpath.com forward slash jobs to apply and to search for any other listings. Don't forget to sign up for weekly job alerts so when there are new positions added to the job board, you'll get an email so you can be the first to apply. Again, that's revisionpath.com forward slash jobs. You're listening to the Revision Path Podcast, a weekly showcase of the world's black graphic designers, web designers, and web developers. Through in-depth interviews, you'll learn about their work, their goals, and what inspires them as creative individuals. Here's your host, Maurice Cherry. Welcome to the Revision Path Podcast. My name is Maurice Cherry, and before we get into this week's interview, as some of you have probably already heard by now, I have won the 2018 Stephen Heller Prize for Cultural Commentary for my work here with Revision Path. So the award is from AIGA, which of course we've talked about tons of times here on the show, and I'll be accepting the award on Friday, April 20th in New York City at the annual AIGA Awards Gala. It's a huge honor, huge honor, but more than that, it's an acknowledgement of the power, the reach, and the influence of Revision Path in the design community, which is just amazing. I'm really, really excited about it. Also, while I'm here, I want to remind you about our annual audience survey. Of course, that's at revisionpath.com forward slash survey. It takes about five to 10 minutes to fill out. We really want to get that information so we can learn more about you, learn more about what you want to hear about from the show. And we're giving away a $500 Amazon.com gift card for one lucky person that takes the survey. So go ahead and take that again, revisionpath.com forward slash survey. That survey is going to end on April the 30th. Now let's talk about our sponsors, Glitch, Google Design, and MailChimp. Glitch is the friendly community where you'll build the web app of your dreams. So whether you're into design, coding, music, or art, Glitch is the right tool for you. You can start from scratch or remix any of the available projects and make them your own. And if you get stuck, just raise your hand and get help from the Glitch community. Get started on making something awesome today at glitch.com. Whether it's defining a branding style in VR or creating a voice user interface that actually feels human, Google Design is committed to sharing the best design thinking from Google and beyond. Sign up for great stories, events, and the latest updates on material design at design.google forward slash newsletter. Again, that's design.google forward slash newsletter. You can also follow Google Design on Facebook, Twitter, and Google+. Did you know that the number one email marketing priority is personalization? I mean, it makes sense if you think about it. You only want to hear from the people and the businesses that you like the most. And MailChimp helps make that happen with their robust campaign builder and a host of helpful automations. It's email marketing with a personal touch. Sign up at MailChimp.com today for a free account. MailChimp. Send better email. Now for this week's interview. I'm talking to Renee Reed, Senior UX Design Researcher at LinkedIn. Let's start the show. All right. So tell us who you are and what you do. So I am Renee Reed. I am currently a senior user experience design researcher 
quite a mouthful there, but that's because I do a lot. I currently hold a position at LinkedIn in Silicon Valley and Mountain View. I am originally born and raised from New York. Uh, went to school in Savannah, Georgia, Savannah State University at a historically black college and university at HBCU. Uh, made my way to Atlanta to start my professional career, not in UX or in this design field. I actually started out as a, a project manager, went through several years of transition of positions, and then really started to hone in onto my desires of understanding computers and developing things and began to take classes for web development, UI development. And then from that is what really captivated me into this field of user experience. And then from there, I uh, was able to transition into a position in my company that I worked for at Atlanta and then started my UX researcher career path in Atlanta, and then made the incredible jump across the way here to Silicon Valley to LinkedIn, where I currently am as a senior researcher. It's quite a journey. It is. It's been exciting. It's had its ups and downs, but I really love the fact that I have taken kind of these twists and turns. (laughs) It has not been a straight path whatsoever. And so that's why I love to tell my story to let people know that the twists and turns, it's all part of it. It's all part of the journey and it's all worth it. Well, before we go back too far, I'm curious to kind of learn more about what it is that you do at LinkedIn as a senior UX design researcher. Can you talk about that more? Absolutely. So my day-to-day really encompasses the search and discovery world of LinkedIn. So what a lot of people are used to in terms of what we call our our flagship product. So when you log on to LinkedIn and you've got your profile up and you're searching for people and you're looking to connect to people, that's my world. Understanding how people want to connect, how they're searching, what type of things they're wanting to discover, whether it's jobs, companies, new opportunities, new thought leaders in their field, and really providing the best experience and working with product and engineering and design partners and really coming up and delivering a platform that people just really want to come to because they see such value and such impact as part of their career growth, their academia growth, their networking, their socializing, just having this place with this enormous amount of information and being able to access that in the most effective way. And really helping them be the most successful, productive professionals as as possible. And connecting these people throughout the world. We've got over 500 million uh, users globally. And so the opportunities are endless. And so just making sure that that experience is like no other when they come to LinkedIn. Now, I admit I'm pretty much a LinkedIn power user. People will often ask me, how do you find folks to interview for a revision path. And I'm quick to tell them LinkedIn. LinkedIn has been extremely integral to revision path success and finding so many black designers. And I think people tend to be surprised that it's such a simple answer to that question. But it is actually it's been really easy for me to try to find people. And I think that's largely in part, you know, to the work that you're doing with making that search and discovery process so easy. Yeah, thanks. That's really great to hear. Do you You are definitely the type of member that I'm always looking to hear from in terms of how are you leveraging the platform, right? And so how you're utilizing it may be completely different than someone else. So you're using it as a tool, as a mechanism to help the platform in which you're invested in, um, in Revision Path. And that's amazing, right? And able to search and find, like you said, Black designers or Black professionals in the UX field. And then you have other people who are just looking to connect to find people who they want to ask questions about, you know, how do they navigate this field that they know nothing about and how do they be successful in careers that they're looking to enter in. So the the scope of how people use our platform is wide and we just want to make sure that we are providing the best experience. So thank you for that feedback. It's always good to hear that. (laughs) (laughs) 
Yeah, I mean, it's really been been great. I mean, I've kind of went back and forth with, I guess, the level of of how I've used LinkedIn, but largely it has been really good with search and discovery. Like, I can easily look up someone, find their information, look at their connections if they have, you know, that kind of stuff available, and find more people. I'd say, I would say at least. 90% maybe of the people that I've interviewed have come from LinkedIn. So that's good to know. What about working at LinkedIn would you like for people to know? I'm curious. I know it's a, it's a company that was recently purchased by Microsoft, but in your time working there, can you kind of tell me what you think people should know about kind of LinkedIn, the company? Yeah. One of LinkedIn's biggest vision and mission is to really connect the world in this economic system and really creating economic opportunity for everyone. And that means everyone. That means your blue collar worker, your white collar worker. It is a platform for everyone. Everyone has a place on LinkedIn. And so what's really exciting is really watching the experience grow and acquiring new people who have never heard of LinkedIn, never use LinkedIn. And, you know, this new discovery of this amazing tool that can help them in so many different areas. That's what's exciting, right? So in the design world, we always say that design is never done. There's always room to improve. There's always room to iterate and do things. And so that's what's exciting about LinkedIn. As the workforce grows, as the global economy grows, so does the opportunity to connect people to these, like I said, endless opportunities of economic opportunities and just keep watching us provide all the different things that we can to really help people along their journey. What's a typical day like for you at LinkedIn? (laughs) So what's really great is I can come into LinkedIn and have breakfast and sit down and, and come in after taking the Caltrain in, right? I'm mean, being able to kind of sit and gather my thoughts for the day. And then I work and sit with a amazing group of designers, really thoughtful, innovative designers. So I sit amongst them and, you know, we begin to look at projects where we are, where we could be really looking forward and seeing things that we can develop quickly, some low hanging fruit. I also work very closely with engineers matter of fact, everyone is within a couple of feet of one another. So I'm talking with engineers, I'm talking with data scientists, I'm talking with marketing specialists and product managers. So what I love about my world is this interaction with all these different teams on a daily basis, and really helping to create a through line of communication as to what our vision and mission is, in this search and discovery experience, right? So everyone's being on the same page. There's so much communication between us. It's incredible. And I love the team camaraderie that, again, as UX researchers and designers, we tend to have our own kind of circle and all kind of a community. And we know that we get along and we've got this vibe going. But where I can help really influence that with our engineers, our PMs, our data scientists on a day-to-day basis It's just an amazing environment that promotes creativity. It promotes collaboration in a space that I've never really had before. So that's a great experience. And then it creates, like you said, this want to just make things better for our members all the time. Nice. UX is a pretty popular field right now. I feel like I'd say maybe at least within the past two years that I've done the show, we've gotten a lot more people that are in UX There are classes like General Assembly that offer these sort of UX boot camps where people can go for eight to 10 weeks and then now they can get a job working UX. Why do you think UX is so popular right now? Yeah, that's a great question. So this kind of implosion of this field, I think, has been directly associated with this very environment that I'm in now, right, in in Silicon Valley. When you've got companies that have created products that are very design focused and very UX focused. Companies now have seen the value of user experience and and to a new degree. I'm not saying that it has never been there. UX has been there on, on smaller factors, but now that it's gotten to this heightened place, a lot of companies are just kind of saying, okay, we want that. 
we we want this UX team. We want to do this thing. And unfortunately, what's happening in a lot of places is that a lot of people say that they want UX, but they don't really do UX mm-hmm. uh, in terms of you know design thinking and things like that. But nonetheless, what's exciting is that people are starting to take a look at the value of UX in terms of customer and member and user behavior and retention and growth and things like that. So now there's this need for it. It's a, you know, a supply and demand thing if you want to break it down like that. Um, there's definitely a need for it. And so now people who have gone the academia route, right? There's amazing curriculums that have been doing this for years through HCI programs, through cognitive science programs, and then boot camp schools that are for people who may have gone through an academic journey before, and now they're trying to reskill. And so the implosion of it has just really created so much opportunity mm-hmm. for everyone. I know people who have been in their profession for years and are just like, you know what, I I want to make a switch. I'm digging this UX thing. And, you know, I've taken boot camp classes from different organizations and online online uh, academies and things like that. Yeah, it's it's just interesting to see how it has morphed um over the years and is gonna continue to grow. It's not going anywhere, I don't think, anytime soon. What do people who are interested in getting into UX right now need to know? <laughs> it is a ever-changing, fast-paced environment. That which you have learned maybe in the six months is probably being tweaked, revised, something else is coming in that's newer, better. Being in the tech space, you know, you hear a lot of developers you know, there's languages that are changing and different types of systems that are coming out. Same thing in design and research, right? You've got all these different tools and then there's always better tools. There's always more efficient tools that are coming out. So you may learn something one day and then the next day it's old news and there's a new design system out for you to use. Even with research, right? Like as these new technologies come out, so do though so goes the methodologies for research. You know, there's some things that are going to be tried and true, and you know they're, they're going to sustain the research history with UX. But then there's other ways that research has to change with the um, change of technology. When we look at AI, VR, AR, things like that, we are testing things that five years ago, ten years ago, didn't exist, and we're researching those things. So. There's always, always, always design is never done. Research is never done. You're always going to be leveling up, skilling up in this industry. What have some of your experiences been like working in the UX community? You know, overall, I'm going to answer this in two ways. Overall, it has been incredible. The UX community is a very exciting, like I said, tight knit, great vibes there is this culture of collaboration and innovation and doing cool things and wanting to speak with one another and help one another out. So that's something that I've really enjoyed in being in this community. I will also say that my experience as a black woman in this community has been one of of a lot of questions and a lot of motivation as well, because you know, in the tech space as it is, you know, we've seen the numbers. There's a small amount of percentages in terms of black people in tech that are actually in the tech field in Silicon Valley, right? That number gets a lot smaller when you're looking at specifically the UX field, right? So when I try to find other counterparts that may be in research, it's a lot harder. I've got to do my due diligence to seek them out, whether it's on LinkedIn, you know, meetups, things like that. So I'm excited about just growing this community of black women, of minorities and the UX field because it's so needed. It's so needed Mm -hmm. because as UX people, we have to be the front lines of creating an unbiased platform and unbiased design and making sure that we are a very inclusive of the audiences that we're serving. Okay. So before you moved out to the Bay, you said you were here in Atlanta, kind of starting your career, getting things going. 
Let's talk about that a little bit. You worked, I know, at Career Builder, but what are some other places where you kind of started to get your footing here in uh, in Atlanta? Sure. So, like I said, my career path has taken a couple of twists and a lot of curves and ups and downs, but I started out initially at a company that was acquired by Honeywell as a product project manager. And I was there, again, right out of college. I had a degree in uh, public relations and marketing, but I was able to do this project management type work. So I grew my career at this company um, for a while and then got laid off and then went into sales. You know, I allowed myself the opportunity to try something that I had never done before, but I had always been told I was just so good at. I was a natural communicator. I was able to connect with people and uh, sales was it. My brother used to tell me I could sell a drowning man water. (laughs) (laughs) um, I didn't quite understand what he meant, but after getting into sales and then it was for a product that I believed in. It was gym memberships, but I was really into just wellness and, and health and fitness. And so I believed in it. You know, I wasn't and not knocking anyone who sells knives. I just I wasn't sell, selling knives. That's not something that I believed in. I was able to do the sales because it didn't feel salesy. It was just really telling people the importance of health and wellness. And then the facility that I was able to do this in was pretty huge. It wasn't a standard kind of box gym. It was just huge kind of rodeo drive type facility. So, you know, really big, 24 hours, things like that. <laughs> and so all of that, and then I went to Career Builder and started to navigate my career there, went through several positions. And then, like I said, got into the uh, the UX team as an internal hire, one of the only internal hires, actually. And so I was able to use my project management skills my sales skills and the skills I had acquired internally at Career Builder to really help create a narrative for myself as a user experience researcher. Hmm. And that's so important. And I always tell people, look at what you have, look at what the skills that you have. There are a lot of these things that are going to be transferable and own those skills. Of course, you know, you want to skill up and you want to know the craft and you want to master the craft. But you also want to be able to take advantage of the things that you have invested time in. And so that has what's really has worked for me in this space. And as a researcher, you know, I am using some of my sales skills, right? Like I have to really be the advocate for our members and in a sense, almost sell the research to some people to let them know the value of it as well. Right. So being able to present that. Those are skills that I've gained in sales, the project management skills, you know, it's self-explanatory. You've got projects coming left and right in research. You've got to be able to manage them. So all of those have been so integral and so important in my pathway into user research. I'm really glad that you mentioned that. We've had people on the show before that have kind of mentioned that same concept of having transferable skills, like they may have worked in one particular area doing something, but now they found a way to make that work for them in something different that might have to do with design, might not have to do with design. For me, for example, I work in marketing now, but before that I had my own creative studio. But a lot of those skills that I learned running that studio transfer over into marketing when it comes to meeting deadlines and structuring tasks and things like that. Yeah. Was that something that you discovered on your own or did someone help kind of coach you through that? No, that was all baptism by fire, trial and error, messing up <laughs> and and hopefully doing better. I mean, my background is in math. So I kind of came into this whole design community in a very, I wouldn't say in an odd way. I was always doing design as a kid, like learning how to code and drawing and sketching and doing stuff with computer graphics. But I mean, back then in the 90s, it wasn't really a it wasn't a discipline that you could go into and, and learn in college. Like there were no programs or anything like that. It wasn't a skill that you could really transfer into something. It was just a hobby because the web honestly was really kind of just getting started. I want to say when I got to high school, which was in, oh, I'm dating myself. When I got to high school in 95, oh God, <laughs> <laughs> uh, we had a supercomputer lab and we were just 
learning the internet. We had Netscape Navigator. We were just kind of seeing what was out there on the web, learning about Yahoo. Played so many games of Yahoo Space. My God. Um, <laughs> but, but that was also kind of my introduction to what the web could be. It was kind of a, a way that we could see what information was out there. We learned how to write, learn how to program, things like that. It was really something that I wanted to do as a profession, but I had no idea how to get into it. So when I went to college, I started with like computer science and computer engineering, thinking that that would be some sort of a gateway into web design, which it wasn't. I went to Morehouse. They were like, yeah, we don't have that program. You might want to switch your major. So I did and switched to something else and just kind of ended up still doing it on the side and then eventually getting my first design job and then kind of just going from there. Yeah, you, I like the point that you made in terms of doing something like you kept it going on the side. And I think that's, you know, an option that people um, need to consider, especially if they're looking to do a transfer change of careers. You know, not everybody has the ability or the liberty to stop what they're doing and totally invest their time in a full time program. But where you can, if you truly have a passion to um, get into UX and research and design and you're in a place where you are working full time, there's so many ways that you can keep that desire going on the side and get those skills in the field while maintaining, you know, your full time work and and getting where you need to be. And I'd also offer and um, submit, you know, that actually can work in your favor, right? If you're working in a space that has some remnants or something about design or research or something that you can fit it in while you're working, that's the best opportunity to take advantage of your space, right? Because Mm -hmm. then you're going to be able to apply those skills in real world settings. And, you know, a lot of times the people who I've talked to and I mentor and I said, listen, the best thing you can do is just look within your own surroundings, Look within your close perimeter and your close radius. A lot of times it's always kind of looking outside, right? And kind of going way beyond and reaching out. But sometimes it's just so much more effective and quicker to reach in. So yeah, that's, that's a really good point. And kind of, you know, you, you started on a path, but you always kept something going on the side. Yeah. When did you know that you could take all of these skills that you had and sort of transform them into what you're doing now? One of the things, and I'll say this, part of it is just my nature. It's definitely a part of it. I've always been a multitasker to some sense. I was a cheerleader. I was a ballet dancer. I took piano. I was doing so many things at the same time. And each thing that I did as I was growing up, I always utilized a skill set that I had in another field and applied it to what I was doing. So as a ballet dancer, my flexibility, my ability to jump, all of that played a part in me being a softball player. I was able to stretch for fly balls and dive and things because of this flexibility that I had from ballet. So I've always been attuned to making every experience count and transferring them in, in some way and using them. So as I grew in my professional career, I just knew that from going to school, obtaining a degree, applying those things that I learned in school. Plenty money was spent and used in school, so I didn't want that to go to waste. <laughs> you know, that'll put things in perspective for sure. Yeah. And acquiring new skills is, is when I started in my professional career. And just making sure I was literally taking advantage of everything that I was learning. Mistakes, ups, downs, everything was a teachable and learning learning lesson and just literally rolling that up into the next thing. And so that was always my desire. Like, what do I want to do next? Where do I want to see myself? What's my trajectory look like? And can I use what I already have to help springboard me without having to really start over, right? Like, can I start with what I already have? And that's how I started to navigate this journey into UX. So what is the kind of design and tech scene, like, or, you know, or the UX scene, I guess, if that exists? What is it like for you out there in the Bay? It's fast. It is fast. I think that's something that it really took me by surprise and in a good way. Coming from the East Coast and 
companies are doing their thing and, you know, they're trying to, you know, be first to market. And I actually came from an enterprise side and enterprise can be, you know, a little bit slower in developing, you know, UX techniques and forward thinking design techniques. So things definitely moved a little bit slower, but man, when I got here to LinkedIn and to the Valley, it just took off. It was so fast. I could not believe the pace, which was exciting for me being from New York. It was good to kind of get back into that, that fast pace, go, go, go. But it was a go, go, go that isn't tiring. It's exciting. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's it's just an an exciting time to kind of keep going because, you know, there is a pulse out here in the Silicon Valley where people are just trying to be the first and get things out the door. And and that's great because it really does create this atmosphere of change quickly and and challenge quickly. And let's go and, and let's just let's not waste any time. Let's make every moment count. So what are you excited about now? So I'm just really excited about, again, making this platform a place where everyone is excited about utilizing and coming to you and making it a space where, like I said, blue collar, white collar, and just making LinkedIn and the experience of search and discovery like no other in the sense that you can come and literally find opportunities that are endless. And that's exciting because, you know, I've got friends, I've got family, and these are like real world issues and things that people are going to going through, trying to find jobs, trying to find careers, wanting to become thought leaders. And I'm in that space where I can help them get to that next level and and achieve those goals, right? So I take everything, again, that I'm learning internally at LinkedIn, and I apply that to real world situations that I know friends and family uh, are going through. So I mean, I'm excited. I'm excited for the things that the people that I know, and even people I don't know, get to experience that they haven't experienced yet. Is there anything in particular that you really want to accomplish this year? I mean, I know we're talking about what you're excited about right now, but do you have any further out goals? Yeah. So one of my main things, again, as a researcher is always scaling up, like I said. And so I am really excited about AR and VR and AI research and really honing in on skills to help that area of design. And people may not think of LinkedIn in that space per se of like AR and VR, but that's just the point of always being ready and always being ahead and thinking way past, you know, you've got short-term goals, you've got long-term goals. And I just want to be ready where when those things take form, I'm already skilled and ready to go. So yeah, so skilling up um, as a researcher in these new technologies. What advice has really stuck with you over the years? One of the best pieces of advice that I received while I was in Atlanta was when I was actually internally before I had gotten the research position, maybe a year before I had started looking at positions within the company that I could transfer to and get into. And I had someone in the organization who saw me kind of trying to figure out what my next move was. And She told me, and to this day, I say this to so many people I talk to, it has just resonated with me. She said to me, Renee, you have to make sure that you are not just running away from something, but you are running to something. And what she meant by that is a lot of times we're in positions and we just want to get out. Like we were just like, I'm, I'm out. I'm done. I just want to, I want to get, I'm on to the new thing. And what will happen is you will repeat a cycle of, being unhappy, being in a dead end position, because you're in this thing of just, I want to get out. Like I'm tired, I'm bored, I just want to do something different. And so she really helped me understand the importance of focusing and goal setting and having a plan and understanding where do you want yourself to be? What is your trajectory? What do you want your narrative to be? And so I really began to focus on what was the next steps? How was I going to get to that next steps? What did I want my next next steps to be? And really plan. So 
that's where you initially, again, I started web development and um, looked at front end development, looked at UI. That was the plan. I was like, no, this is where I want to go. Like something that's meaningful, a career that is more geared to longevity and I can do different things. And then from that, again, that's where this appreciation and curiosity about HCI and UX came about. And then again, that purpose, that drive to run towards something instead of run from something became an entirely different new outlook for me. Well, now speaking about that, you know, purpose and drive, one thing I noticed from looking at your bio is that you really like to give back to the community as well. I mean, you, you certainly have the internal drive for yourself, but you also like to pass it forward or pass it off to the next generation in terms of helping out you a professional mentor with tech women. You've helped out with Boys and Girls Club. You're heading up employee research groups at LinkedIn. Can you tell me a little bit about where that drive comes from to do that, to give back? So part of it is the fact that I myself didn't necessarily have people to push me or really help to invest a lot in what I wanted to do or where I was going to go. My parents were fantastic. So, you know, they were good support, but I'm a first generation college graduate, college attendee. And so a lot of things I had to do, I had to navigate on my own. Um, and I was successful in that, but I understood very quickly that not everyone has that drive or not everyone has the ability to navigate on their own. And so my drive came from understanding the power of investing in someone, even though I didn't have it. And I don't know, you know, what my trajectory would have looked like if I had someone who, you know, mentored me all the way, who, who knows, but I had the internal drive to push myself. And it was the, and it's interesting as I even thinking, saying it out loud, you know, it is, it was the lack of having a mentor and having someone to really pour into me that has driven me to make sure that the generation that comes after me, young folks have at least someone that they can look to reach out to and say, okay, this makes sense. And she's giving back and she's pouring into us and she's mentoring us. And I think that's just so important. It keeps me grounded as a professional, as a human. You know, I've got younger nieces and family members who are looking up. So, you know, I have a responsibility to to pay it forward. And I've always had this outlook of it's, it's, it's bigger than me. You know, it's, it's not just about me. It's about the community. It's about the next person. And just that overflowing of passion to see people be able to do better and, you know, and, and get on the right path and, and be able to be inspired. Yeah, it's been so huge and so beneficial in my own career path, right? A lot of times I'm thinking I'm helping these other people and in the end of the day, they end up helping me. And that's the greatest gift of it. What else keeps you motivated and inspired these days? Black Panther. <laughs> okay. Black Panther, Wakanda, um, <laughs> Wakanda forever. Yeah, I think Wakanda and the Black Panther movie really has created this energy. I'm excited to see what we do as a community to push this energy forward. It's been great in amongst my own UX and design community as we begin to talk about, you know, the messages behind Black Panther and things like that and what we can do as black UX researchers or black UX uh, designers in terms of empowering a younger generation and getting them exposed to this field. And, you know, we've got so much talented young kids who just don't know. They just don't you just have no clue of this other world that they have access to. And so what can we do to really help bring them to this world so that they can have this excitement and this hope. So, yeah, you know, just in that theme of, you know, Wakanda and the, and the, and the possibilities that are there, how do we keep that moving forward in our day to day? And it's not this fantasy world, right? It's something that is attainable right here, right now. Yep. How many times did you see Black Panther? <laughs> Three. 
<laughs> I've seen it three times too. I hope. Well, at the time of we're recording this, I've seen it three times. I'm pretty sure I will have seen it many more times by the time this airs. I know that they're rushing to go ahead and get it out on digital video, like in a few months. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yep. Yeah. Each time I see it, there's, you know, a new lesson learned. There's something that, of course, you didn't realize before. The design aesthetics, I'm looking at things, I'm listening to things, you know, as a researcher, I'm watching a little bit different, listening to things. So yeah, each time I'm I'm learning something new. And so what's even fascinating about that is your skill sets as a researcher or designer, I would speak as a researcher, being able to listen, you know, and to be able to watch. It's amazing how, again, your senses as a researcher, you, you know, you sharpen all the time and there's different avenues and different ways that you can do that. So, you know, watching this movie, I've realized how, from a sensory standpoint, how I've just been a little bit more purposeful in how I watch this movie. And that has definitely helped or will help again, I mean, as uh, in my day to day as a researcher. Do you have a dream project that you would love to work on? Ooh, yeah. So uh, I don't want to say it. (laughs) 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 That's just what that dream project is. Okay. Uh, yeah, yeah. So I, I do have a dream project. I think that's important for everyone. That's an excellent question. To have a dream project. I will say this, I have a passion project for sure. And that being able to, like I said, bring UX and design to communities that are underserved or underprivileged and expose them to it in a way that it's very attainable. It's very real for them and making them understand the importance of their presence, again, in these underserved community and why they're important. If you're just designing and researching a certain type of group of people and things like that, we're going to have a very biased technology world. And we've seen that in some retrospects. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I'm very purposeful and just in my day to day and making sure that Little things like design concepts or mocks, making sure they're not all the same. They're not all coming from the same industry. They're not all from the same company. They're not all just representing Silicon Valley. That's not the world we live on. It's just the bubble we're in right now. And so that's why it's important to really help bring up a next generation of, like I said, you know, diverse designers and, and researchers who just never knew about this amazing industry so that they can be a part of it too and, and have their voice and presence be known and seen. Is there ever anything that you regret not doing due to fear? Through the fear or through you, the year? No, through fear. Like, is there anything you regret not doing because you were afraid of it, because you were fearful, anything like that? Yeah. So I was actually just talking about this to a group last night. Earlier on in my career, when I was a researcher, I you know, would always look and just kind of poke around on LinkedIn to see what positions were available. And I would always see these positions and be very intimidated because I felt like I didn't fit the mold. I didn't come up through the academia track. I didn't graduate from, you know, your Stanford's, your Berkeley's, your Georgia Tech's. And so I just felt like I wasn't at par with my counterparts, you know, these younger, fresh out of school graduates, things like that. And so that fear really did have me in a position where I did not feel like I could apply for positions. I did not proactively apply for the positions. But interesting enough, I was actually recruited or reached out to you on LinkedIn by another recruiter at a different company and to express interest in, you know, talking to me and finding out with my background. And I honestly think that had that recruiter not reached out to me, and I actually went on an on-site interview, I made it through the entire interview process, uh, phone interviews, case studies, on-site, I didn't get the position, but it sparked such a drive in me. And I realized, and I was like, oh, no, I can do this. Mm-hmm. I have... I can do this. I do have the skills. I can go toe-to-toe with a PhD students. I have enough skill sets and I have enough professional 
experience where I am definitely as competitive as anyone graduating from Carnegie Mellon. If anything, maybe I'm even more competitive because I've got real world experience. It's something that these academia students don't have. No shade to those students who are doing that. So I'm not trying to say that you guys uh, don't have that value, but I literally at that point realized that, like you said, the fear had kept me from experiencing this potential of opportunities. And after that, it was like no more. It was like the floodgates open. I was like, I'm going for any and everything with purpose. Companies I didn't think I could get recruited from. And then LinkedIn came along and I was contacted again by a recruiter there here and went through the process. And by the time I had probably done about three interviews, by the time I interviewed at LinkedIn, and my level of confidence, the I was so unapologetic of who I was, where I was in my career. And that just hopefully was clearly something went right. And I just I remember during my presentation feeling so excited about where I was and what I was doing and the privilege. So, yeah. Who were some of your mentors or, or people that influenced you throughout all of this, this journey to where you are now? So two really big mentors that I had was at my previous career, previous position at Career Builder. My manager, my research manager at the time was a younger woman, a younger Caucasian woman. And she was so incredible in helping me to grow as a researcher. She had been in a research field. She had gone through an agency. She had done all this stuff. And here she was in this in this corporate setting. So she had had some years behind her and she had her master's and everything. But she was just so genuine, so authentic, so given and so caring and really took the time to help me and, and help me grow. And I really began to accept her tutelage and just gravitated to everything that she had to offer. And then I'm, my director at the time as well, when I first became a researcher, a career builder, he was just like, listen, I see the potential in you. You have to see the potential in yourself. Don't shortchange yourself. And it was just those words of affirmation externally. I've always kind of tried to be my own cheerleader. But there is something different that happens when you hear it from someone else and someone else is taking the time to pour into you. And so, again, I didn't necessarily have a lot of mentorship before this time coming into research. But once I did get into research, so grateful for the time that my manager and director took to really uh, invest in me and help me get to where I am today. Where do you see yourself in the next five years? Hopefully leading a team. I'm really excited about people development and leading a team and so uh, I'm excited about the opportunity to go into a management level for several reasons, like I said, to help grow people and, and make people better, but also because there's just not enough representation on a manager level for black UXers and, and, and people in this field. So I definitely want to be a representation of where you can go in this industry. All right. Well, just to kind of wrap things up here, Renee, Tell us where we can find you online, uh, you know, your website, any links, anything like that. Sure. So you can definitely connect with me on LinkedIn, uh, Renee Reed. Just look for myself at LinkedIn at the company. You can also find me on Twitter at the underscore Renee. And so, yeah, I'd love to talk and hear from everyone. And thank you, Maurice. This has been fantastic. Yeah, I was just going to say, I wanted to thank you, you know, so much for really, you know, for coming on the show. I wanted to thank you for not only kind of peeling the curtain back and sharing what it is that you do, you know, at LinkedIn, but also sharing why you give back to the community, why that's so important. And, you know, sharing your own experiences being a black woman in this field. I think, you know, a lot of the conversation around, you know, diversity in tech as it is tends to come from just one angle. It tends to usually just come from a hiring sort of angle, hiring and building the workforce. But I think it's important to know that, you know, the people that you're bringing in also help contribute to kind of just the overall growth of, of everything. So 
Uh, thank you so much for coming on the show. I appreciate it. Thanks, Maurice. Thoughts of love are and that's it for this week. Big thanks to Renee Reed and thanks to you for listening. You can find out more about Renee and her work through the links in the show notes at revisionpath.com. Also, thanks as always to our sponsors, Facebook Design, Glitch, Google Design, and MailChimp. Facebook designers work on creative products that are used by over 2 billion people. But what's it like actually working there? Everything Facebook designs is done at scale, so design critiques, metrics, and other factors are a huge part of how they work. Sound interesting? Then learn more about Facebook design and what they do at facebook.com forward slash design. Glitch is the friendly community where you'll build the web app of your dreams. From games to art to music and hardware, Glitch is flexible enough to create some really powerful tools. You can even use it for work or to learn how to code. The possibilities are endless. So what will you create today? Get started at glitch.com. Whether it's defining a branding style in VR or creating a voice user interface that actually feels human, Google Design is committed to sharing the best design thinking from Google and beyond. Sign up for great stories, events, and the latest updates on material design at design.google forward slash newsletter. Again, that's design.google forward slash newsletter. You can also follow Google Design on Facebook, Twitter, and Google+. MailChimp is the world's largest marketing automation platform. They support millions of customers from small e-commerce shops to big online retailers, and they support the creative community as well. I mean, they've been supporting Revision Pass since 2014, so props to them. You know, MailChimp really gives you the marketing tools to be yourself on a bigger stage. Visit MailChimp.com and sign up for a free account today. MailChimp. Send better email. This episode was edited by RJ Basilio and produced by me, Maurice Cherry. Our intro voiceover is by Music Man Dre with intro and outro music by Yellow Speaker. If you like this episode, then please leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. It only takes a minute or two. It helps more people learn about the show, not just here in the U.S., but internationally as well. It also helps the show by bumping us up there in the rankings for Design Podcast. And I'll even read your review right here on the show. Revision Path is brought to you by Lunch, a multidisciplinary creative studio in Atlanta, Georgia. Now, if you're listening to this podcast and you want to hear next week's episode a little early, then you should become our patron over at Patreon. You know, now more than ever, Revision Path needs your support to make sure that stories about black designers and creatives in our field are being told in their own words. So if you support us, if you support our mission, just go to patreon.com forward slash revision path and pledge today. For just $5 a month, you can get access to behind the scenes information about the show, upcoming interviews, and so much more. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you next time. 